to another episode of the Keeping It Real podcast where I, Mary Laura Hunt, interview experts on the dangers of social media and how to handle them in the real world. Today, I'm here with two experts, Valerie Costanza and Rachel Haynes, to explore the diet culture we live in today and how social media affects the way we view ourselves physically. So I'm going to start with Rachel, and then I'm going to transition into Valerie um, for the second half of this episode. So hi, Rachel. Hi. I am so excited to have you here today. Body image is something I've really been wanting to explore on this podcast because it is so prevalent not only in our society, but like it's super heavily influenced by social media. So I've really been wanting to um, touch on that. Mm -hmm. Before we get started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about like what your profession is and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am a registered dietitian and I started, I started college knowing that I wanted to be in dietetics. I had no idea what I wanted to do with it, but I just knew that food interested me and I wanted to help people. And so that's where I started and then really, really loved it, but didn't quite know what the heck I was going to do with it. You go through a dietetic internship after you've completed your bachelor's. So you get lots of different um, experience in different fields of dietetics. And so I kept thinking, okay, Surely I'll come across a rotation where I just feel like I found my calling and that's the job that I want to do and I never really found it honestly so I was a little concerned. So a week after my internship ended a job became available and it was just really exactly what I could have dreamed of. I really wanted to work in ministry and I don't think I was super honest with myself throughout college Mm -hmm. that that's what I wanted to do because I didn't think it was really possible to work in ministry and use my dietetic degree. But so this job was working for a residential program, women with life controlling issues, and they really valued nutrition and needed a dietitian on staff. And so I couldn't, I could not believe it, honestly. I was like so blown away that there wasn't even an option for that. And I loved getting to work with the women and I grew so so much in the process and most of the residents struggled with eating disorders and disordered eating and so I learned a lot on the job and kind of did a lot of self-training and then also learning about my own relationship with food along the way and I'll say my the way that I practice dietetics has really evolved over the years and I'm excited to share more about that But yeah, that's how I got started in dietetics and was introduced to eating disorder recovery and just fallen in love with it. So Rachel, you mentioned that you work with eating disorders and disordered eating. And that kind of caught my attention because I didn't know there was a difference between eating disorders and disordered eating. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of explain the difference between those two and what they are? Yes. So with eating disorders, there are... number of eating disorders out there, um, just to name a few, anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, I'll just kind of stick with those just Mm -hmm. for the sake of time, but there is specific diagnostic criteria for each one, basically meaning, you know, say you're working with your doctor or your therapist and Mm -hmm. you're sharing um, your symptoms or your behaviors with them. You have to, like with anorexia nervosa, there's an extreme fear of weight gain um, as well as a certain body weight that you have to be below a certain body weight in order to meet that criteria. And honestly, I 
even working in disordered eating and eating disorder recovery, it's not like I'm thinking about that criteria all day, every day. Mm -hmm. I'm not like, oh, you didn't meet the criteria, so we're not going to work on your relationship with food. Or It definitely helps with figuring out the severity of your eating disorder. Again, there's specific diagnostic criteria that you would have to meet in order to have a quote-unquote diagnosed eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But there's also disordered eating, which is sort of like the precursor to an eating disorder. Okay. It's these symptoms, behaviors that are not, not necessarily healthy for you physically or mentally, and that can look like skipping meals and kind of knowing that you don't need to be skipping meals, but you're just kind of like how it makes you feel to skip meals, or you feel like, you know, I feel like I'm getting busy and this meal just doesn't work into my schedule, and then you start kind of liking it and liking how it makes your body look, or feeling anxiety around certain types of foods, like say you saw in the media that a certain type of food was really high in calories, and so now you feel anxiety around it. It can be thinking about food constantly, being kind of obsessive about logging your food or calorie counting all day. I mean, it can look a lot of different ways. And I I really think most everybody has struggled with disordered eating at some point in their lives. So it's Mm -hmm. it's so, so common. And I think that it just kind of takes the right amount of almost stress or a triggering moment to kind of shift disordered eating into a full-blown eating disorder. That's really interesting. So you said a couple of things with disordered eating that I was like, oh, like that's that's classified as disordered eating. Sure, like like yeah. it's like it's like kind of the intrusive thoughts that I think everybody has. Like what what's going to happen if I skip this one meal? Yeah. Like like what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So for our listeners and I mean for me, like if I start thinking those thoughts like mm-hmm. more and more and more like mm-hmm. like what do I do yeah that's like what do you do next mm-hmm. so that's a great question to kind of figure out all right when is it when do I need help with this mm-hmm. and I would say when you feel like it's controlling a lot of your thoughts if you feel um, anxiety around food if you feel like you're thinking about your body size and you're thinking about the food that you ate or didn't eat, um, if you're thinking about how much or how little you exercise that day, those are all red flags. Those are all things that need attention. Um, and I would just encourage you to share that with someone that you trust, someone mm-hmm. like a coach or a teacher, your parents, and just let them know that something is going on with my relationship with food, the way I think about food, the way I think about my body, it's just more than it should be. Mm. It's usually one of the first questions I'll ask my clients that I work with is, when did this start for you? When did you start noticing, I'm thinking about my body way more, I'm really dissatisfied with my body, and now I'm wanting to eliminate foods, or I have this big new interest in food, mm-hmm. and those that's enough for me to say, you are right where you need to be, and we are going to work on that. And I feel like a lot of times people will minimize mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. issue and think, well, everybody struggles with this, so I don't really need help, or they'll think, well, if I go get help, then they're going to make me eat and then I'll gain weight or then I'll I'll be out of control if I seek help. And so that's really, really scary to mm-hmm. think about for someone who's very fearful of weight gain or just letting go of control or 
surrendering that. And so a lot of times you're very used to, to minimizing it in your mind mm -hmm. and telling yourself, I've already got so much going on. I don't really need to seek professional help. And then there's a, a really negative connotation attached to professional help. Yes, yes. And so I, I spent a lot of time in that first meeting just helping my clients understand that this is extremely common because diet culture is everywhere. Um, we are all a product of diet culture because we can't escape it. And so, I mean, my probably unpopular opinion is I feel like most everybody needs nutrition counseling in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. So I will praise my clients for just being there and being brave enough to be there and surrender this area of their lives and admit, okay, I need help here. Mm -hmm. And I, and especially the younger that they are, I'm thinking, this is going to serve you for the rest of your life. You're going to eat for the rest of your life. Mm. You have this body for the rest of your life. And so learning to treat it well as a young adult, I mean, you are way ahead of the game. So mm -hmm. it's, it's so worth the time and the energy that you and your parents or whoever's helping you with it, it is so, so worth it and it's so necessary. I love that point that you brought up that it's like, if you kind of recognize within yourself that it is an issue but you don't want to address it, it's not like it's just going to go away. Like it's, it's going to be there and you're just going to let that you know, fester within you. And so the sooner you're able to, you know, surrender yourself to getting help, the, the further that's going to go in life. So for sure, I, I love that point. So something that social media provides our teenagers with today is just like, there's all these filters and the perfecting tools for all of your pictures and bikini pictures are everywhere during the summer and you know you got to get that summer bod you got to glow up glow up is a term that's used everywhere you got to glow up you know the five tips to have a summer glow up or whatever personally what i've experienced is that during those seasons when you see that perfected picture you might not have the same body type as the person in that picture, but you want it based on that picture and you want it really fast, you want it now. How do you combat that feeling of, of wanting something so badly, so fast and not understanding how to attain it? That is such a good question. And as you were asking it, I was thinking, I have been there. I've been there so many times. I haven't had social media in my life as well. Did you grow up with social media? Yes. Yeah, so not it wasn't really until i was in college honestly yeah. did i start having a lot of exposure to um, pictures of my friends seeing pictures of my friends more often mm -hmm. it really wasn't until i don't know it, probably 10 years ago when social media became difficult and challenging for me to see different body sizes and then obviously progressively gotten worse mm -hmm. over time and just needing boundaries around that so I empathize and that's really why I went into this and why I feel so passionate about it because I have found a lot of freedom and still have to work on that freedom and maintain that freedom that I found from obsessing about body size, obsessing about what I eat, striving for this unattainable body that I feel like only makes me unhappy and dissatisfied. So I'll say, you're not alone, I feel that, and it's really why I feel so passionate about helping others find, find freedom. But So what has been a game changer for me is realizing that in those moments, what do I really want? Because 
automatically I think, oh, I, I want that smaller body. But asking myself, what do I think that that smaller body will give me? Or more fit body. Ooh. So that's something I'll do with my clients is I'll say, okay, looking at a smaller body, like, what do you want? What is, is it a fit body? Is it a small body? Is it a, I don't know, fill in the blank. And or so, is it the attention that you get from having that body? It's exactly it. So they take the time to figure out, okay, what is it that I think that that smaller body will give me? And the answers are always unique. And it's a lot of times it'll sound like, um, I'll feel seen, I'll feel loved, I'll feel accepted, um, I'll feel wanted, I'll feel valuable. And so you, what we're working towards is realizing you can feel all those things and know that you have all those things in the body that you live in right now. And now it's way easier said than done, but it's a it's a practice. I mean, that's not a Band-Aid. Like, that's, that's a deep, deep work that we have to do. Mm. But in those initial moments when you see that smaller body and you're like, man, that's what I want, that's what I'll never have, and you just kind of spiral, think, okay, what is, what is that body, what do I think that body is going to give me? I think that body is going to give me acceptance and love. And do I have those things right now? Yeah, I have, you know, all these things going for me. And if, you know, I'm, I'm a believer and I always direct myself and my clients to the fact that you know, your, your identity is not found in your body size. It is found in Christ. And ultimately that is the sustainable belief that is going to pull you through. Because if we base that answer on, well, so-and-so loves me, or I'm on this team and I'm the captain. And so that must mean I'm valuable and significant. Those things are all going to, to fade eventually. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, there's something, you're, you're, the love from your parents, likely, for most of us, we can say that's going to be in our lives, but they're not always going to love you perfectly, mm -hmm. you know? So that's where, for me, I know my true identity and the, the true, those things that I'm truly looking for, I have because of Christ. And so that's just, that's personal for me, but I know if that's not where you are, um, in your journey and those aren't your specific beliefs, then there's plenty of proof in your life to show that a body size is not ultimately what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. What we're looking for are these much deeper things like love, acceptance, yes. Um, yes. joy, mm -hmm. all those things. I love that because recently I heard that, and this, this really changed my thought process on a lot of things, but fear is a primary emotion. Mm -hmm. Anger is not a primary emotion. Jealousy is not a primary emotion. Like, like none of those other emotions are primary. Most things stem from the primary emotion of fear. Yes. So most of the time if we're longing for something or, or if, we're, if we're saying we need to be a certain size, it's not actually if we want to be that certain size, it comes from a fear of not being wanted or loved or accepted or having the attention. Mm. So um, I, I love that you just so said good. that because I've never, I've never thought about it that way, but that does apply in this scenario for sure. Wow. I think that's a really powerful message. Kind of shifting gears here. I think we live in a society that kind of blatantly shames anyone trying to lose weight. It's like, no, like it's, it's all body positivity and like you need to love yourself for who you are, which I love, don't get me wrong, this, this could be taken the wrong way, but <laughs> right. please don't. When is it appropriate to lose weight? What is your opinion on like body positivity? Mm -hmm. Okay, such a good question. So with body positivity, I'm, I'm right there with you. I do, I love that 
We are experiencing this movement in diet culture where people are realizing, okay, diet culture, which tells us that a thinner, smaller body is better and mm -hmm. more valuable. Diet culture demonizes certain eating patterns and elevates certain eating patterns, which makes it very confusing. But so with diet culture, people are starting to reject it and realizing that body positivity feels a lot better, mm -hmm. right? They're like, I can, I can feel good in the body that I live in. That sounds much better than hating the body mm -hmm. that I live in. Mm -hmm. The problem is that it often just kind of serves as a Band-Aid. In that moment, you think, oh, I can love myself, I can love my body. But then the next day when you see a picture or your body is, the scale has gone up, you know, mm -hmm. that is just automatically you're going to go right back to where you started. So it's a, it's a positive message, but it's an incomplete message. So I have found the flaw in it that it's telling us that we, we can love our bodies or your bodies are, are so powerful and strong and look at all the good things that your body can do. But what happens when you gain weight, you get sick? What if you get a terminal illness? I mean, what are we supposed to do with those things mm -hmm. when our bodies essentially fail us? And as a believer, I know that my body is a, this first sign that I am not God and I'm not in control. Mm -hmm. And so that's gonna show up in a lot of different ways, especially when you're older, but when you're younger, it's sh the first ways it usually starts to show up when you're younger and when you're in you know, middle school or high school is, is your, your body's changing, your body size is changing without mm -hmm. your permission. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. these things are, things are bigger, things are smaller, and I don't like that, what do I do? And we feel out of control and then here comes body positivity saying, hey, love your body. And you're like, I don't know how to love my body. Mm -hmm. Like, or I did yesterday, but I don't today. So it's so confusing. And that's where this identity piece comes in, is knowing your true identity and knowing that my identity is not found in my body size. And it's not found in the way that I look or the way other people see me. It's, it's a good question for you to ask yourself, where is your identity found? And mm -hmm. if you don't know, then... I know for me personally, just from a mom's perspective, a big sister's perspective, that finding it in Christ was the best thing that's ever happened to me because mm -hmm. that is, that's, I mean, I know that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven and I'm, I'm going to have a new body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I know on this side of heaven, I will never be satisfied with my body. Um, I'll have days where I'm appreciative of it and thankful for it, but I will always, it's only getting older <laughs> and I'm only getting a little more dissatisfied with it. But the hope is that this isn't my forever home, number one, but this is not my forever body. And so that just, that gives me hope. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say every day I'm like jumping out of bed like, I love this aging body. That does not happen. Yes. <laughs> I have really hard days, mm -hmm. but ultimately at the end of the day, I'm like, this is not my forever body. And that's really hard to understand as a middle schooler or a high schooler. But working on that now is you can find hope. Intuitive eating is becoming very popular alongside body positivity, but I think a lot of people have a lot of reservations about it because it seems almost like too good to be true or it can be interpreted as promoting obesity and it seems really scary for people because it's like we're actually listening to our bodies. So intuitive eating, if I am correct, is listening to your body and understanding what you need in order to be nourished. So can you kind of give me your opinion on that? That is such a good question. I would say intuitive eating is wildly misunderstood. Mm -hmm. I think that I know for me, the first time that I was introduced to it, I was 
really not ready for it personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. I, I was very immersed in diet culture. I liked rigidity. I liked the structure of a meal plan and I needed my rules and I myself was very dissatisfied with my body size and wanted, always wanted to shrink it, always wanted it to be smaller. And so when inter intuitive eating was introduced to me, I thought, oh, heck no, I'm not gonna mm -hmm. sacrifice my body size for this eating pattern that looks very irresponsible, number one. And it seemed just, it just did not appeal to me at all. Mm -hmm. And then, so I did the, meal planning and the more rigid planning and I even promoted patterns that I find now to be pretty unhealthy mm -hmm. and would not recommend to clients now. So I've learned a lot and realized that so much of what I was trying to implement was not working for my clients. They were not seeing sustainable weight loss. They might lose weight initially, but it wasn't staying off and I found a lot of the things that I was trying to do to my body weren't working either to try to lose weight and turns out I did not need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. I was at a healthy weight. My body was trying to sustain the weight that I was just simply allowing it to ha mm -hmm. have. So when I was first introduced to it, I was like, no, that is not for me. And it wasn't until I kind of got the end to the end of myself and realized, okay, what I'm doing is not working. There's there's missing puzzle pieces here. And I started implementing intuitive eating and I didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. And so then I, I was reintroduced to it and realized this is exactly what I've been missing. These principles are what I need personally mm -hmm. and what I would love to start teaching my clients. But it felt very scary because it wasn't as black and white as the meal planning was where mm -hmm. it's like you need this much of this food you need this many you need this much protein and this much carbohydrate and this, this much fat i wanted that and intuitive eating was more about your relationship with food mm -hmm. i mean we're looking basically what you're doing with intuitive eating is you're getting back in touch with your body mm -hmm. and better understanding what your body needs and that's very much a process you you're better understanding hunger and fullness and satisfaction you're looking at exercise you are walking through, okay, what are my list of good foods and bad foods? And why are these foods on the bad list and these foods on the good list? And what's so interesting about it is with diet culture, there's so much restriction, you know, okay, cut this out, cut that out. And what people don't realize and what I didn't realize is when I'm cutting those things out, then my body reads it as sort of like there's a famine and that mm. I'm, I'm starving myself or two things are happening. If you're not getting enough calories, then your body is gonna put food at the forefront of your mind. Interesting. For, yes, out of a, it's a survival mechanism. It's almost like if you look way, way back and think, okay, if caveman times, you know, if we're out of food, then your brain needs to put food at the forefront of your mind in order to keep you and your family alive. And so that still happens today. So if I'm not nourished enough, then I might, you might notice, wow, I'm thinking about food a lot. Or you think, okay, I skipped a couple of meals last week. Now all of a sudden I'm like really feeling obsessed with food. That's exactly what's supposed to be happening. Mm. There's nothing wrong with you. Mm. That's exactly what's supposed to happen to you. So that happens when you're not getting enough food. Now when you're cutting out food, say you're like, oh, I don't need to be eating as much dessert. And it's your very first time to cut out dessert. And so you do it for six days. 
And then on that seventh day, you're like, okay, I'm going to have dessert today. And then you have it and you're like, this is delicious. Like I could eat this whole cake and I could eat, you know, now all I want is dessert. Now all I'm thinking about it. And that is happening because when you restrict something, you have this very high reward for it afterwards. Um, So there's a, there's a various psychological piece to it. It's not necessarily you're, you're crazy or there's something wrong with you. There's physically something is happening to your brain where you're responding to it differently now. So back to intuitive eating, it's misunderstood because it, it feels too scary for people. It feels very gray and we want black and white. Mm -hmm. I know that's how it was for me, but it's been the most freeing thing in the world for me and my relationship with food and tons of clients that I have worked with. In the past three years since I've started implementing it, I've seen more success than I have over these past 10 years working with clients. And Mm so it's been huge for me. Well, the question, I don't know, I I think it's tricky because what I really want to ask is if you see someone starving themselves, making themselves throw up, not eating, like what do you do yeah. because it genuinely from what i understand eating disorders become um, you be, you have you tend to have a very like selfish demeanor about mm-hmm. you because yeah. it's very like self focused sure. yeah. and so most of the time if you approach that situation mm-hmm. with a friend it could be perceived as you being like well, you're getting littler than me and I don't like that. And like, they're just jealous. And so it could be seen as a malicious intent when really it's not. Yeah. yeah. So like just how to like handle that. Yeah. So I often will say the first, I mean, obviously every relationship is different. I can understand how intimidating it is because this is what I do for a living and it can feel, it still feels very intimidating sometimes when I don't know somebody very well, but then we're about to talk about this very personal problem mm-hmm. issue that they're having that's very scary for them to talk about. So just know going into it that this is going to feel scary. I'm not going to feel completely confident doing what I'm doing, but I'm trying to care for my friend here and I see some things that are unhealthy. So you're asking yourself, how, how do I care for them? I say, See them as a person first, not a person with an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So going into it knowing that there are some unhealthy patterns I'm seeing happening right now. And it's so much more than the food. It's so much more than the restriction that I see. There's something going on um, in their heart, in their mind. And how can I be there for them as a friend? Mm -hmm. How can I be a safe person for them? And that means not sharing that with a lot of people, sharing that, oh, have you seen so-and-so? She's really not, you know, unless it's, and unless it's somebody else that you can trust about that best mm-hmm. friend's interest, it could even get to the point where you are sharing it with an adult that you trust. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it is going to be very difficult to bring up. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't make that any easier. It's a difficult topic to talk about. And so I would say developing trust with that person, helping them know that they're safe with you and being safe, number one, being a safe Mm -hmm. person for them and encouraging them to seek help. And if it gets to the point, kind of giving them this ultimatum, hey, I'm seeing unhealthy patterns. I'm seeing that you might be struggling in some way. How how are you doing? First asking, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And then bringing up, hey, I saw you didn't eat lunch or... You know, I, I saw you went to the bathroom right after that meal. Are you okay? And then if they say, if they give you, open the 
open the door and then say, no, I'm actually not okay. Like, hey, I'm here. I would love to talk, talk mm-hmm. with you about it and saying, hey, I know that that's not healthy for your body or your mind. And I care about you a lot. And mm-hmm. I really want you to have someone, a, prof- a professional or someone that's qualified to help with this mm-hmm. because you are worth you're worth that time and energy. And we know that this is not about the food. We know that this is not about you fitting in certain pant size. This, mm-hmm. There's something going on in your heart, in yeah. your mind, and you need and you deserve mm-hmm. the love and the care that that requires. And so that's, of course, after you kind of get to the point where y'all are talking about it. But but if you've opened that door and, and they, they decide it. not to, if they, nope, nothing's wrong, you just... Yeah, which is going to happen often. Yeah, that's going to happen really often. I would say, you finding get again back to the ultimatum, saying, "Hey, I've seen, I've seen that that this is maybe a struggle for you. I would love to be able to talk with you about it, but I don't know a lot about it, and I don't want to act like I know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. I want to be here for you as a person, as your friend. Um, How can I be here for you? And then just opening that door. But if you see it starting to get really dangerous, if you think that this is a really detrimental to their health. Letting a teacher know, letting, you know, saying, hey, if you don't go to your parents about this, I, I feel like I need to. And this mm-hmm. is why. Because mm-hmm. I've seen you do X, Y, and Z. And you're not yourself. And you're very withdrawn. And that concerns me because I love you as your friend. Well, and I feel like if you choose to approach that situation and you think it's serious enough to, you know, handle it in that way, you have to be okay with maybe that friendship not being a friendship anymore like you like you like you're gonna have to weigh that option you know what i mean like like if they choose not to see it as endearing you're gonna have to be able to understand that that friendship might not exist past the Mm -hmm. point of you bringing that up and you Mm -hmm. have to really weigh your options there so if if you approach this friend of yours and they have continued to kind of shut you down they're not being open and willing to talk about it and continuing to say hey this is not an issue for me back off, then that might be some boundaries for you to set with that friend. And um, that's very hard to navigate, very hard to do, but honestly, it, it will be detrimental for you to continue to push. And if you don't see, if mm-hmm. you're not getting anything back from that friend, they need the boundary. They need, they're, they're telling you, hey, this is, I'm not going to open up to you. Putting some distance might be necessary. So kind of to wrap up this this discussion, so if as a teenager you find yourself in the pattern of feeling lesser than because of what you're seeing online in terms of your body image, you, you don't think it's serious enough to seek help, but you continue to find yourself in this lull of, I don't hate my body, but I don't love my body. I'm not really in tune with my body and I want to be. Like, what are some tips you have for our listeners to kind of push out of that cycle um, and start to really come to terms with who you are past your body? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, so many resources and books kind of running through my mind. Um, and I do think it's individualized um, you know, based off of kind of where you are in in the journey, kind of what you've tried in the past. I mean, there. I would say starting with social media is a great place to start and put some boundaries up there. Mm-hmm. If there are certain accounts that, I love what you said earlier about um, is this educator or is this account, this person that I'm following, this influencer, do I feel good when I, is it comforting? Is it, do I feel like it's helpful and healthy for me? Um, if this account or 
influencer is causing a lot of shame or guilt or doubt, then that's a red flag. Let's put some boundaries up there. Let's unfollow. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to take a break from social media in general. Um, being careful who you're, you're with. I would say rejecting diet culture is one of the first things that I work on with clients is helping them understand where is diet culture in my life? Where it, what is feeding into this message that's telling me a smaller, thinner body is more valuable? Who in my life is telling me that? What is reinforcing that? Is that social media accounts? Is that conversations I'm having with my friends? Um, is that is that a relationship I'm ha I have with someone that I need to put a boundary around? So recognizing that diet culture message, I would say, is first. First line of defense. We're figuring out where, where have I seen this and heard this and how can I flip that? Mm -hmm. um, and then doing identity work. Figuring out, okay, where is my true identity found and personally me finding my identity in Christ has been the uh, the game changer I mean it's it is the um, it, it's been the only thing that's worked for me mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not a great way to say that but the other ways just don't they don't last and yeah. knowing that my identity is found in Christ and knowing that um, I knowing that I don't have to attain these goals that are unattainable because my identity is found in Christ mm -hmm. um, is the ultimate, my ultimate hope. And it's ultimately what I'm, what I'm striving for and what I know, how I know that I don't have to, I don't have to struggle with this. Mm -hmm. I think this is going to be like such a valuable and interesting episode for a lot of our listeners. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Yes, um, absolutely. Thank you so much for, you know, coming on this podcast and trying something new with me. I yes. really appreciate it. Yes, you're welcome. I loved being here. So now I'm here with Valerie Costanza to explore a little bit more of the diet culture aspect of this episode. So, hello, Valerie. Hello. First off, how are you doing today? I'm good. So I like to begin by asking my experts to kind of tell our listeners a little bit about themselves before we really dive into your area of expertise okay. so that they can get to know you as a person before an expert. So yes. can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you do? Okay. Well, I'm Valerie Costanza. I am a dietitian. I've been a registered dietitian for 18-ish years, 17-ish, somewhere around there. Cool. Anyway. Long time. Um, long time. <laughs> uh, since you've been born. Yes. And I've kind of done several different things. I worked in the hospital. I worked in a, a cardiac and a pulmonary rehab. I worked with women's health doctor, the women's clinic. I've, I've kind of done several things and now I'm just in private practice and uh, work with, with women. Mm -hmm. Okay, so did you always know you were interested in nutrition or was that something that you found along the way? I, always knew I was interested in nutrition, but the degree scared me. Mm -hmm. So I went into fitness and wellness and I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist or kinesiology, I think is what it's called now. And I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist, but I didn't, that wasn't a super big passion. And I was constantly spending time looking up food and looking up, mm -hmm. you know, what food does to the body and, and just nutrition. But the people that were in nutrition always talked about how hard it was. And I, it was the thoughts I had on my mind of, oh, I can't do that. There's no way I'll pass those classes. I, I won't, that's just going to be too hard for me. And my junior year, I finally gave in and I said, you know what, 
I, I know I'm supposed to do this. So I switched my major and I loved it. Well, great. Anybody listening that's interested in nutrition, yeah. you can do it. <laughs> Valerie did it, it, so you can do yes. it too. Okay, so Valerie, I follow you on Instagram, yes. so I know you are very present on social media. So <laughs> what is your opinion has, especially since you have a private practice, has social media like helped or hindered what you do? Social media is very necessary for a private practice, but I hate it all the same. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I hate it because you have to spend so much time on it to mm -hmm. to do your advertising, to show up, to show up in people's scrolls, to make sure people see what you're doing and to get your word across, but uh, it's it's so much time. It takes mm -hmm. all my time away from things that I want to do and I'm really uh, it's it's not something I like to do at all. Mm. That's very interesting. So you don't like to do it. Not at all. But you do it for the sake of your I business. I feel it's necessary. I feel like that. And honestly, yeah. I have not done it for probably two weeks. I've not touched it. No. We and, all need that. Well, yeah, but with business, there's been no business mm. come in those mm -hmm. two weeks. So it's just kind of like it's a necessary evil mm. for for my business. That is a really good point. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of things that people struggle with. Like we don't necessarily love social media, uh -uh. but it's like, uh -huh. it's not going away. Like uh -uh. you have to take advantage of what it presents to you. And uh -huh. that is like a global audience. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'm gonna dive right in and just ask you like, what is diet culture? We hear that word a lot. It's thrown around a lot. But I don't think that anybody really understands what it is. So, like, what I, is diet culture? I think, and I thought about that question, I, and I didn't look anything up. I don't know if there's, like, Google can give you a, <laughs> yeah. a definition of it. But for my definition, I think it's all the fad diets. I mean, mm -hmm. like, there's constantly a new fad <clears throat> diet to get us to our perfect body. I think diet culture does that, tries to get you to that perfect body, I think. Mm -hmm. And I, th I I could be wrong. I mean, that's kind of my di definition mm -hmm. of diet culture is any of those fad diets that we're, we're trying to attain something that's unattainable. Mm. Very interesting. Kind of how I look at diet culture is like, like it's trendy, like, yeah. like whatever's yeah. trendy. Yeah. And normally trends, it's like they catch on because they work for a lot of people. But yeah. like what we don't see online is that mm -hmm. like trends don't apply to everyone. So like it's no. really harmful when you're trying to participate in a trend and you're not getting the results that you want and you don't understand that like that just might not work for your body yeah. because what works for your body might not work for somebody else's body. But why is it a trend in the first place? What makes it a trend? A trend is not going to last long. Mm -hmm. It's going to work very short term. It's not something that is, you mm. have to look at it as okay, this is a diet, it's not something that is gonna fulfill me for long term mm -hmm. and not gonna reach my ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. So let's explore the term just diet, not even like diet culture, like what is a diet? Well, ultimate, ultimately a diet is what you eat, mm -hmm. but our culture has made it to where there are diets that have rules around them, so I mean, there's lots of, of diets. There's, mm -hmm. so like, there's, like there's macros, paleo, there's yeah. macros, there's 
But even something like I mean, gluten-free, dairy-free, yeah, like is that those a are diet? diets? Anything yeah. that has a rule around it, mm-hmm. and not to say that some of these are bad. I mean, there's a lot of my clients. I I see a specific set of clients that have autoimmune diseases and pro- problems with running their body correctly. Mm-hmm. So they have lots of symptoms that will affect their everyday living. Mm-hmm. And so those are the type of people I see. Well, I have to put them on a, a diet per se. Mm-hmm. I have to take out the foods that are causing the problem. But in that, I also assess what is their m- mental uh, and emotional awareness of is this gonna harm how they see themselves? Is mm-hmm. this gonna, so like for fasting diets, for mm-hmm. intermittent fasting. Yeah. So for intermittent fasting, there are benefits to the body, but it has become a fad diet in, in diet culture in that people will see it as, oh, I can lose weight with this. Mm. I can get trim. I can um, reach my 10 pound weight loss goal with mm-hmm. just not eating. So we yeah. can turn those things in that are could be helpful to somebody that has symptoms that they need to control their symptoms. We've turned it into, in the diet culture and in the diet world, into a weight loss thing. Mm. And somebody's gonna, you know, it's gonna change the emotional mm-hmm. and, and mental and affect that part of their life. Yeah, so it's like, it's not really a diet that is bad, but it's like the negative connotation that our society puts around Uh diets Uh that becomes harmful. Uh Yes, okay, so I love, I love that point. So intermittent fasting could, there are a lot of practitioners that use it for diabetes management. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not what diet culture uses it for. We use it for weight loss, Mm -hmm. right? But that's not, and then keto diet that is used originally for epilepsy killed children with epilepsy See, I did not know that but now what do we use it for weight loss mm-hmm. so there are a lot of diets that have have lots of research behind them that help with symptom management or um, healing in the body mm-hmm. but we've flipped it and made it to where oh wait but you can lose weight on this so this can be a good thing for weight loss mm-hmm Okay. But it's not sustainable. Yes, yes. We're going to so get into that for sure. Yes. <laughs> so obviously on this podcast, we establish that like the what we see on social media is not reality. But because of what we see on social media, oftentimes, even if you are living a healthy lifestyle, it's hard to think of yourself as leading a healthy lifestyle because of what you see online. So like, I know what I eat in a days are super popular right now. And that's just where people walk you through your day, their day in a video and show you exactly what they eat for every meal. And so because of that, it's really hard to feel like you're living a super healthy lifestyle because you see all these people eating perfect, mm-hmm. you know, diets every day. And so when really that's not attainable, but we don't, it's, it's hard for us, especially teenagers, to register that. As a dietitian, do you have any like stable or constant like, I don't want to say rules because rules is something that kind of mm-hmm. has a negative connotation around diets, but like kind of ways to assess if you're leading a healthy lifestyle or not. That one is hard. I think comparison is so huge. So if you're following other people that are doing that, you're automatically going to compare mm-hmm. and say, I'm not meeting up to this. <laughs> and you just have to have social media boundaries at that point of, I, 
if if that affects your emotional well-being then you can't follow those people mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. can't because you're gonna you're gonna judge yourself based on what you think they're eating because they're probably downing other things behind the scenes mm-hmm. because typically it's not enough food mm-hmm. it's it's just not or they're getting tons of calories in with protein powders mm. and that's not a healthy thing to live off of either mm-hmm. like what do healthy eating habits look like what are some rules of thumb that our listeners can think of when assessing if they are leading healthy eating habits so as far as teenagers go getting real food in is is really important because mm-hmm. most teenagers are not getting real food in so they're going to drive drive through a fast food they're going to grab a bar for breakfast they're going to they're not getting much real food in unless their mom cooks it by chance at mm-hmm. night. Most parents don't cook a whole lot. Just making sure sh- that, shoot, aim for half of your meals or half of the food that you take in be real food, fruits and vegetables and um, whole grains and real meat, not processed junk food. Mm-hmm. I think the processed food and the the candies and the colors and all that is mm-hmm. so prevalent in, in kids and in teens. So I think that's probably one that, especially as you get a little older and in college, you're going to notice it a little more and you're going to really not understand what you need to take out. And so then you'll start taking out the processed food, but you won't know what to put back in. So mm-hmm. you put in, start in now, putting in real food, eat fruits and vegetables, eat, mm-hmm. and and maybe you have something processed along with it, but make sure you have the desire for and and the, the want to have fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and real meat, not just processed, mm-hmm. processed meat. I think starting young in putting those things in your diet is good. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, that's a great thing about social media though. It's because like, if you're wanting to incorporate real substance, like real fruits, veggies, meats, like whatever it is, you can look up all kinds of mm-hmm. recipes and easy mm-hmm. ways to incorporate those into your everyday. So listeners, we're not telling you that you have to eat perfect 100% of the time because Mm-mm. that is the information that social media feeds you. You don't have to do that. Mm-mm. Just aim for, what is it, half of your diet to be real food so that whenever you get to a place where you're your own person, you understand <laughs> how to maintain that diet so that it is you know, a stable constant in your life so that you can you know, lead a healthy lifestyle. And I do have, I mean, like with my own clients, Mm -hmm. now they're older women that have already shown signs of either deficiencies or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, intolerances, whatever. So there are a lot more rules with them. But like if I have, if I do happen to have a um, teenager, typically it's a lot more lax Mm -hmm. because it's just harder y'all y'all are exposed to so much more junk mm. than a, an adult we're just not as or i'm not i'm not in school so it, i don't have the candy bar you know the options of just grabbing it wherever you know i mean mm-hmm. so it i do if i ever do have a teen i do 
I am more lax mm-hmm. with them than I am my clients that have symptoms already. Well, that's really interesting because you're like, we have so much access as teenagers to mm-hmm. like processed food. But at the same time, it's like we have so much access to like seeing what a perfect diet looks like. Yes. So when it, like if you get on TikTok and you're like, oh, look at the new like Oreo flavor that's out. Here's a, like a cake ball that you can make with the Oreos and the store-bought like cookies or whatever. And then you scroll down and it's like, what I eat in a day on a keto diet. And so like it's so conflicting because then it's like, well, what do we do? Like there's so many options. And I feel like that's really overwhelming in, like, in, in terms of eating habits because yes. there, there's so much information out there yes for sure and that's another thing like the sweets like mm-hmm. if it's if you're following keto you're you're trying to figure out how can I get my sweets in mm-hmm. because it I mean there's no option of carbs mm-hmm. so that's another thing is is we become dependent on that sweet flavor and so a lot of my clients I'm trying to get them off of the sweet flavor and get mm-hmm. their taste buds changed. Well, and I, interestingly enough, I'm very interested in nutrition. Mm-hmm. And so something that I've told my friends that like, because I, I tend to really be interested in trying to create something that I really enjoy Mm -hmm. out of things that are good for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I tell people all the time. It's like eating healthy is not supposed to be miserable. It's Mm -mm. supposed to satisfy you more than anything else. Just people have the perception that it's something that that a diet has to be miserable Miserable. and you have to be sacrificing something Mm -hmm. when really it's just, it's not necessarily a sacrifice. It's just a replacement of something that can be more substantial Mm -hmm. and we don't really see that on social media i i was like you like i would find a recipe and i was like how can i change this Mm -hmm. to where it's something that is actually going to benefit my body rather than take all of my nutrients Mm -hmm. away from my body but i still enjoy it yeah that's the fun part it's like Uh my (laughs) one of my friends he hate like he has this feud against healthy food Mm -hmm. and it is like it is a source of enjoyment for me to try and like find like dupes like that's a really big thing right now on social media like <laughs> like dupes which is like kind of a like a fake of something so like uh-huh. a like a cheese it dupe or like oh, a yeah. veggie straw or not not veggie straw like a chip dupe and so like yeah. a chip dupe would be, be veggie straws yeah and so I'll make him close his eyes and he'll try something and then he doesn't know if it's healthy or unhealthy and it's just really fun for me to see like what I can find to prove to him Uh that eating healthy does not have to be a chore it doesn't have to be miserable Mm -mm. so it's really interesting so Mm -hmm. listeners try you you have the internet you have social media at your fingertips try and find a way to incorporate incorporate healthy eating habits while still being enjoyable for sure one last thing I want to touch on with diet culture is that there are so many professionals or people that claim to be professionals on diets or eating or eating habits that just give unsolicited advice online all the time. How do we separate the helpful advice from the harmful advice from, of these professionals? It's, it's hard. These professionals have to, it's their marketing. They have to go above and beyond mm-hmm. to catch certain people so they can sell something. Mm -hmm. So they're just trying to sell you and get your money. And I see that as in my own business, like there are some things that I have to market toward that I'm, I'm not trying to catch everybody, but 
if you're just following somebody and not they're not trying to sell you anything or um, if they are trying to sell you something and you're not sure okay should I be following this person should I be doing what they say or not and I could say look to see if they are a registered dietitian but there are a lot of nutritionists that know a lot of information so that is one you can look and see are they a registered mm -hmm. dietitian but there are a lot of dietitians that I don't trust either uh -huh. I think one are they cutting food groups out if they're cutting food groups out no that's not your body needs every every food real food mm -hmm. your body needs all of it don't if somebody says you can't eat fruit anymore okay they're off the table you, you mm -hmm. need fruit there's that. lots of fruits that are um, they're loaded with vitamins mm -hmm. and they're loaded with fiber your body needs that so don't if somebody says no more fruit okay they're off well and almost every food group is inclusive yeah. Like, right? Like, like um, you can find almost a every food group that can, like, complement. Like, if you have an allergy or something, like, there's going to be a substitute oh, for yeah. whatever you're lacking in that allergy yeah. within that food group, right? Yeah. If somebody tells you that you have to have their protein powder mm. to have the perfect diet, mm -hmm. mm, they're done. Somebody tells you, uh, meat, for example, if they say that you can't have meat anymore, that's mm -hmm. another one. If they're just pushing vegan or plant-based no uh, it says in the bible we can eat meat yes now i do give my clients lots of rules i mean i say rules but parameters like these mm -hmm. are the things you need to look for when you do buy these foods mm -hmm. and food groups i think those are the biggest things and then if somebody if you're following whatever it is this person is telling you you also need to check your emotional status like is this if they're saying you need to cut out this meat to feel better is your ultimate goal deep down oh I'm gonna lose weight and I'm gonna be skinny and I'm, I mean is it mm -hmm. is it body image mm -hmm. driven for you but you're trying to stuff that down mm -hmm. in the guise of I'm gonna feel better mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of people that will get into things thinking thinking they'll feel better knowing deep down they're doing it to try to lose weight mm -hmm. even though they don't need to lose weight mm -hmm. yes and I, I think my major red flag with like professionals online is that like how does it make me feel emotionally like listening to their advice because mm -hmm. like does it cause me major anxiety mm -hmm. whenever they're telling me about all these rules I'm gonna have to follow in order to achieve whatever I'm wanting to achieve with their diet most of the time whenever I'm comforted by a professional online it's whenever it's just adding something mm -hmm. to what I normally do in my life and as a teenager it's very overwhelming to take a bunch of stuff away mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. that's kind of from my personal experience I don't know if that's truth or not but no I would agree with that mm -hmm. I think that's and I think a lot of professionals they're gonna push take out gluten take out dairy take out sugar take out processed junk food take out take out fruit take out meat take you know mm -hmm. they're gonna mm -hmm. push the takeout a lot harder than giving putting things in mm -hmm. but if you take something out you've got to replace it with something yes. so you got to find out look, mm -hmm. what are they telling me to replace it with yeah if it's real food, then okay, there's that there might be something to it. Mm -hmm. But if there's if it's just a, a supplement or a pill or something like that, then they're just trying to sell you a product. They don't mm -hmm. really know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
What are your opinions on like supplements? Because those are really big too. There's a ton of people online trying to <clears throat> sell like all these supplements and pills, and you have to take this and this and this and to feel healthy and your best self. Mm -hmm. Like, what is your opinion on that? I think supplements are definite. There is a place for them, mm -hmm. but they're uh, it's called supplement for a reason. They mm -hmm. need to supplement your diet, not not be your diet. Yeah. So you can't take a supplement to cover up going to McDonald's for breakfast and Subway for lunch and mm. you know Burger King for supper. You, mm -hmm. There's nothing that's going to bring your body back from that. Yeah. <laughs> so no supplement that is going to recover you from that. So I do advise my clients to take supplements, but it's all individualized based on what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm never one to say, take this for the rest of your life. I, I want people to use food as medicine and, and, and I will tell them, okay, there's certain foods that I want you to eat more of. There's whatever that I want you to eat more of. And then if that, and then I also want you to take the supplement for two or three months and when it runs out, then mm -hmm. let's assess where you are then. Mm -hmm. I think something we hear all the time is food is fuel. And mm -hmm. food is fuel. Mm -hmm. Food food is 1000% fuel and I'm not discrediting that at all. But just saying that I'm going to just eat solely for the fuel of my body, doesn't matter what it tastes like, doesn't matter what I enjoy, is so unrealistic mm -hmm. because we are always going to be unhappy mm -hmm. and lacking in that area. And mm -hmm. that's It's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So I really try to teach them something that works for them forever. I don't want my clients to ever be on a, a diet again and be wrapped up in diet culture. Mm -hmm. I want them to know what works for them and I want them to know that when Christmas time comes around they can go to the parties and they can eat and they can be social at these events and not feel guilty or not feel like they've failed and or they've cheated or they've, they've cheated. cheated. I feel like you're it's not like, a word yeah. that you need to bring to mm -hmm, me at, mm -hmm. <laughs> at my sessions with you. There's yes. no cheating. Mm -hmm. You ate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think sustainability in diets mm -hmm. in, in the diet that you eat or the food that you eat, that's, that's important. So if you get on a keto diet and you're a very social person, it's not going to last. Mm. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming.